You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America, Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here at Conservative Review, powered by Blaze Media on this glorious Friday, January 11th. And I don't even know what day of the week it is anymore. I am telling you, this has been 24-7. I don't have time to go to the bathroom. I don't have time to eat. I don't even remember if I ate breakfast today. Just all of my career issues coming to a head this week, Um, whether it's on the phone, whether it's with colleagues, whether it's researching. I've spent hours upon hours researching criminal alien crime. I don't know if we're going to get to it this week, but you know, we did a show last week. I want to get to it next week. The point is, as many of you know, what we do here is unfortunately unique. And I say unfortunately because I wish I had competition in this space. We need more people doing it. No one's perfect, and you know I can make mistakes too. The more passes you try to make, the more uh, you know, incompletions you'll have. But we try to cover as many issues from as many angles, follow up on them consistently. All my pieces are long and meaty. Long is not always good, and I think brevity is also uh, – the soul of wit, obviously. So, you know, sometimes it's not a great thing, but the point is there's always a lot of meat to what we put out. Every piece I put out, and you might think I write a lot, but actually there's a lot that goes behind it. Just this morning, we have a piece out on how a pack of MS-13 illegals that were known to be MS-13, they came from these UAC kids coming in through the border in Long Island, stabbed a 16-year-old kid, and now they have a bunch of lawyers, and we might not even be able to get them out even after they did that. But they were released by a judge in 2017. I could have just easily written a punchy thing, a couple hundred words, hey, here's what happened. But I connected to a case in Boston. I give you quotes from Rod Rosenstein, of all people, and the police commissioner there, um, give you a flavor of Long Island. Why am I telling you this? Because some of us try to do our homework. We try to really study up on an issue. Some issues are in my wheelhouse, like obviously immigration, courts, law and order, drugs, national security, healthcare, other issues I learn more about. If I see it's going to come come up, I read up. I read CRS reports. I talk with people. I try to do my homework. I don't have any interns. I don't have any help. We have a couple colleagues here. We're going to have one on today, Jordan Schachtel, obviously, as usual, for uh, – Foreign Policy Friday, which is really national defense. It's really not even about foreign policy. It's national defense. And what we have is a failure of this conservative movement. These pundits, the conservative media, those uh, doing work in these NGOs or think tanks. And a lot of these guys are in administrations. They're in uh, Senate offices. They all have the same way of thinking that's not dynamic. They have no ideas. They don't study anything outside of what the media puts on their plate. They have no new insights into policy. But they act like these serious guardians of thought. No, 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 that is racist. No, 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 you can't say that. That is crazy. No, the president doesn't have that authority. I don't like executive stuffs. And 
you know, they just sit there and, and moan and complain, but they don't give a vision. What is it you want to do? And, and God knows I've been critical of Trump where it's appropriate. And, it, and the funny thing is wherever I hit him, they're silent. They only hit him from the left, these guys. National Review, these types. You know, I, I could use their – if they're obsessed with being anti-Trump, which is all they are, at least be anti-Trump where it helps. Ethanol, jailbreak, no one was with me on that. My fight against Kushner, nothing. No, no, no one has anything to say about that. The common denominator with conservative media is that they're owned by the liberal media, meaning sometimes they'll disagree. Sometimes they'll agree but disagree in a different way, and sometimes they'll virtue signal 100% on their behalf. But the common denominator is they only care about what the media puts on their plate. If the media doesn't say something is going on, they don't know what's going on. And if they don't know it's going on, in their hubris, it's not a problem. Now, there's no emergency at the border. Now, that's not an issue. Now, ISIS put out corny videos cutting people's heads off, so that's a strategic threat because I see the videos. But I don't see the videos of the drug cartels doing the same thing. And in fact, people brought in because of them and tied to them doing it in our communities as Derek Maltz um, always talks about the stuff he found, bodies tied up and burned in our own uh, country. By the way, you're seeing a big trend of that. Uh, you look at the U.S. attorney's websites in Northern Virginia, Long Island, some of these areas, more and more you're seeing this business of burning bodies, which really was, was not something very common in our country until now. Particularly when it comes to national defense, there is no vision. You might disagree with us, but together here, Jordan and I have put together a vision in long form where we follow up on multiple angles of here is what it means to be a hawk. Here's where it's not helpful. Here's where it's counterproductive. Here's what a strategic threat is. Here's where we focus our attention. It's more with the homeland, but overseas, it's more about um, soft power, terror finance. One of the things these people can appreciate is that, A, there are threats that are more severe than the ones you think are there, but the media doesn't talk about it, and you have to educate yourself on it. Number two, they don't adapt, as Jason Jones said on our show on Monday with his experience in intel and counterterrorism. Just like the government, and a lot of these people go into government, some of the um, ones with maybe uh, one uh, notch more IQ than the ones that are just thumb-sucking on Twitter. Uh, But it's the same mentality. They don't adapt to 21st century threats and the nature of what it is. And they're so obsessed with yesteryear's fight, and their mentality is so – uh, we have, we have to have troops in this country, but are you or Trump's going to put troops and build a wall on our border? You're crazy. Or they they don't understand that the threat, both from Islamic terror and other terrorists, and that's what they are, like the like the cartels. In this era, they're not going to go and attack you with a military. Okay, because of modern technology with first world countries like America and Israel, they're not going to directly attack you the way you would view a national defense threat of the past. They use money, subversion, lawfare, and they understand the broken nature of Western civilization that they literally I'm, – I'm paraphrasing here the Muslim Brotherhood doctrine, their um, explanatory document to sabotage the – the infidel by its own miserable hands. That is the way they do business. 
So you're going to see people not wearing uniforms, but wearing suits. I mean, you'd be shocked that these drug cartels, they are literally as powerful as the CEO of Apple. I mean, a lot of them have more revenue than that. But they will coldly have themselves and their associates chop up women while they're raping them and put their bodies into acid and hang torsos. I mean, this happens at our border. But it's too subtle for these people. It takes education. And they're not, you know, all these guys, what's interesting is anything that happens, you name the topic, they have a pontification. And within five minutes, an article coming out. No work was put behind it. They know everything there is to know about it. And National Review, all these guys, you name the subject, they got it all figured out overnight. And ironically, it's only whatever the media tells them to focus on. (laughs) You know, Khashoggi was chopped up. Okay, so how is that a strategic threat? Do you know how many people are chopped up um, at our border? And now, again, in our interior, we're having more and more of that type of problem. Um, we have written every single angle from authoritative sources, from just, you know, most people don't even know two grenades were thrown at our consulate in Guadalajara in December. But again, they don't know about any of this. And if they don't know about it, it doesn't exist. And you're crazy. So this is where they are. And likewise, they don't understand, like I said, with Islamic terror, the ISIS is not a problem per se, is a strategic threat. You have to understand what it is and what it is. The Muslim Brotherhood, people on our soil bringing in immigrants, radicalizing, and again, the mother's milk of terrorism is not a mil- militarily. It's, it's the money, the finance. So it's the groups, the civil rights groups on our soil, these Islamic groups that are fundraising for them. That is the issue. But these guys don't understand that. Why am I mentioning this to you? Why am I getting a little bit more political before we get into more policy stuff? We're going to bring on our national security correspondent, Jordan Schachtel, to tell us why I'm pissed off. And he's, he should be even more pissed off than I am. Hey, Jordan, how you doing? Hey, Daniel. Good to be with you. And that was an excellent monologue. I agree with everything you said. Well, I know you're probably used to, to, to me saying this stuff. Now it's time for you to rant. I, I don't like getting into Twitter <laughs> Um, high school millennial like you know these these little things. I, I don't usually talk about that, but I think there's a very teachable moment here. What happened to you from one of these thumb suckers on Twitter last night? So yesterday, speaking of Khashoggi, um, the entirety of Congress and the legacy media held another commemorating Jamal Khashoggi gathering in Washington D.C. because they have nothing better to do. You know, there's no threats to the country, so we can talk about. Um, someone who was killed in the Saudi consulate in Turkey, obviously, because there's no pressing issues. You know, nothing you discuss is legitimate to these people. So Khashoggi it is, right? And um, they had this, um, you know, the Washington Post people were there saying that, um, you know, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia is the most evil person in the world, and they chopped him up. And I sent out a pretty um, innocuous tweet um, basically saying, you know, there's there's no evidence that the that the Saudis, um, you know, tortured him and chopped him up. And I think it was a botched rendition based on what I've come to conclude based on, you know, the research on this. And I've been following this case since day one. And because I challenged the Khashoggi narrative that perhaps 
maybe it was just a botch rendition rather than this, you know, gruesome, horrific killing that's been sourced to um, Saudi Arabia's rivals. Uh, Twitter basically freaked out, and you have this uh, GOP consultant named Rick Wilson, who was in the news lately for calling Trump supporters uh, nine, ten, tooth um, retards or whatever. You know, some disgusting language. He um, quote tweeted my tweet about challenging the Khashoggi narrative and said uh, something like, you know, this is the biggest piece of s on the internet today look at what he did you know how dare he and um his colleagues in the media and his friends um i'm sure you're you're this audience is aware of jonah goldberg and seth mandel so they start digging through my tweets and they find another tweet from yesterday where i said um so the council on american islamic relations was hosting uh, two new members of Congress and one um, veteran member of Congress, Andre Carson. But the two new members of Congress, uh, Rep. Uh, Rashida Tlaib, who's um, you know an anti-Israel exterminationist, and Ilhan Omar, who's an avowed uh, anti-Semite, um, I describe them as the Hamas caucus. And according to polite, um, you know, so-called conservative Twitter, this was. Um, appalling conduct for me to describe these individuals who were being hosted by CARE, which is um, which was founded as a front group uh, for Hamas. Describing them as the Hamas caucus was was way too much. So they decided to to lecture me about how awful I was to describe these people in this manner and challenging Khashoggi. This was way too much. And, you know, this is the ridiculousness that has become of, you know, the conservative uh, commentariat. They are very um, particularly unserious people. They have no new ideas, and they basically sit on social media and uh, nitpick all day. You know, while we are in the weeds trying to come up with solutions to our big national security problems, um, they are busy um, seeing their market share declining, declining. You know, they no longer are the gatekeepers. Thank God they're no longer the gatekeepers for um, conservative ideas. Uh, You know, much of the disasters in the Bush administration's foreign policy is a result of, you know, this this closed loop of um, failed thinkers. Um, And and it's just it it goes to show that these are very unserious people. And um, you can kind of like let their commentary speak for itself. There's no original ideas. Um, and whenever you, you come up with something new, they'll be the first to, you know, to uh, to rant against it and, and not provide a solution um, for themselves. So it just it, I think that these people have nothing to add to the conversation. <laughs> and, and, and I think what's very difficult for people like us that try to do the right thing is you, know, you get caught in between. Obviously, you have people that um, – the other end and they're just obsessed with being pro-Trump and they don't really have any ideas and then you know they peddle some things that are wrong information like you know I've had Todd Benzman on the show before who is the expert from Texas DPS as well as a journalist and by the way he was one of the original journalists who covered the Holy Land Foundation trial for the Dallas Morning News and he has a lot to say on that when you know directly care was funding Hamas um it, there's a lot more behind that, but we've never uncovered it because they're not, 
you know, we don't have enough people willing to do that. You know, there was a time where one group put out a thing that, oh, there's an ISIS training camp across from the border. No, you know, and, and it wasn't true. And that's why he's like, he's putting out airtight, you know, stuff. But, you know, the, the problem with these guys that you're talking about, the, the NRO goes, the Jonah Goldbergs, the Seth Mandels, is that they take the straw man of these people and even the areas where they're right in their critique, they are the ones at fault because they don't give an affirmative vision. So a lot of people have gotten tired and they're and like I was telling people, I, I said this on a joke, if I had to be on an island with one of these insufferable Trump cultists and one of these like thumb suckers on the other end, I would rather be with the Trump cultist. And you know my view on that. I, I've I've never been shy about saying that, you know, some of these people are ridiculous, but at least I understand they're they're hurting. Most of these people are hurting inside. They understand that there's so much wrong with our country and the elites. When this is the profundity of what Bill Buckley said, he'd rather be governed by the first random names in the Boston telephone book than these people. Because at least you know you could have random intuition, and then you have malignant. The way these people think, they think exactly like the liberal media does. I could respect if we see an issue differently, but you research it and as much as me. But then also you deal with other issues, other issues the media is not focusing on. You do research on it. They literally – there's no – it's all like philosophical pontification on anything that comes out. There's no work behind what they do. There's nothing there. And I think what I wanted to segue into some of the policies that we're seeing to get you know a little bit – you know we got our personal stuff out, just – why I'm so upset about this, why you're so upset about this, is that they revel in their ignorance. They, they, they're adamant about it. They, it's like, it's not my fault you don't know about it. And they shove it on you that to them, they have to see a guy dancing around with an AK-47. Okay, that's a terrorist. But they don't understand that in the world we live in, people dancing around with AK-47s on the other side of the world are not a threat to us. What is a threat is immigration, which they anything to control it, they view as racist because again, it's virtue signaling is their is their national anthem. And and just to like step in for a sec, that's the worst part of their critique. You know, we of course welcome rebuttals on all sides, but they always, not always, but a lot of the time they resort to slander, and that is just ugly and and you know so beneath what should be a productive conversation. And that's when they expose themselves and they say, oh, you're racist uh, for wanting uh, you know, less immigration from the Middle East. How dare you question the sanctuary cities or the, the refugee policies that the U.S. is imposing? That's what bothers me the most is that when people uh, – right, they, they, they completely try to delegitimize our arguments – because they cannot counter them, so they decide to slander us and take the cheap way out. The cheap way out, and because because depending on the issue and depending on who we're talking about, there's different levels of uh, thumb sucking and how moist their thumbs are on a given day. But um, <laughs> you know, they, they they might even agree it's a problem because it's so obvious that they can't. Like, you know what? None of these type of guys that we're talking about. You know, they're not officially Democrats. They're not going to say they're for open borders. But what they're going to do is they're going to viciously savage anyone and any strategy to deal with it, but will never give their solution. So it's that's the self-indictment. So if you agree, it's a problem. But, I mean, you got, you and I both know deep down they don't give a damn about these type of issues. Um, but, like, the thing is, what we're talking about, they don't understand the subtlety of 21st century threat doctrine and national defense. That 
Right. The bigger deal is when you let in hundreds of thousands of these people a year and a number of them wind up joining these organizations, grow these community organizations at at every level of the Muslim community, which is terrible for, you know, any any Muslim that wants to assimilate, that wants to love America, um, it could be done in smaller numbers, but only if you have A, in smaller numbers, and B, you don't empower these very groups that subvert them. And the, the problem is when we bring them on, a, they're like, we, we have a humanitarian crisis in Syria. Well, how about if I told you we just let in a bunch of folks that are fundraising for these dudes in Syria that if they didn't have the money, they'd be a bunch of dirtbags. They don't have anything. And so this – I want to get back to this point. So they're like, you know, Hamas is genocidal. Jordan – I know we don't like uh, whatever her name is, Allah, Ilana, whatever, from Somalia and Rashid Tablid from from uh, um, uh, Detroit, uh, but you can't compare them. And that is where they're wrong because the evil of what these people do is they sit by in government and they meet with these people. They work with them. That fundraise for them, that is the whole enchilada, right? Yeah, and, and the argument that they – provide is well they are representatives of congress uh yeah so what you know (laughs) you know how many representatives of congress have been thrown in jail in the past few decades for committing awful crimes um i'm sure there's plenty so that this these people are not above criticism if anything we need a bigger magnifying glass for elected officials who can perhaps change u.s policy uh through the voting process so we definitely need to expose these people, and we need to um, – it's okay to use hyperbole and exaggerate when people understand that you know, the, if, if I'm calling people the Hamas caucus, they're not literally the Hamas caucus. I'm not saying that they're, you're, they're leading terrorist attacks, but in terms of sharing the ideology of these radicals, they have a lot in common – that they don't want to discuss. So that's why we need to continue to talk about these people and and the threat that they present to the United States and the foreign ideologies that they want to bring into the halls of our sacred institutions. It's so important to discuss these issues and and not give them the benefit of the doubt. If anything, we should demand that these representatives um, discuss these issues and denounce groups like Hamas and Unfortunately, no one in the media, the media is busy just showering praise on, you know, the first uh, female refugee congresswoman. How great, how great. Oh, by the way, she said all these anti-Semitic awful things and, you know, is hinting at Jewish control over over the world. But we can ignore that because she's a groundbreaking congresswoman. You know, this is like the ridiculous stuff that we have to deal with day in and day out. I, I mean, and and um, I'm just going to mention, you know, certainly, you know, this is a diverse collection of people. It's all different backgrounds, but the two we mentioned happen to be, I mean, one for sure is Jewish. The other one, I don't know if he is, whatever, um, maybe half Jewish. I, I say that because what is so disturbing about these people is that, you know, for example, we've talked about before the Karani trial we want to cover here in March where according to the open non-blacked out FBI 302s in the court documents in in, um, the New York Federal District Court this the the prosecutors believe that this guy is one of quote hundreds 
in this country that are working for Hezbollah, trained in cloak and dagger techniques, this, they're surveilling Jewish businesses as well as military targets. And it's like it's the people on the fringe, the crazies like like us, like Benzman at CIS, PJ Media, Patrick Poole, who who are left with dealing with this, and they they won't try to expand their horizons. You know, there's everything on the web. People make stuff up that's not true. People exaggerate, but there's a lot that the media is not talking about that is true. It's not just the bias. I say it all the time. The worst thing is their obfuscation, and this is a big problem because where did these people come from? They they didn't like they weren't naturally here. Most of them are recent immigrants. We electively, stupidly brought in, and you know this was a guy. This guy Karani. He was going back to Lebanon while he was naturalizing here. So they're like Trumpers are Trumpers are Muslim. Like you know. You might not like Trump. You might not like things he say. You might disagree with things, and there, there's plenty to say there. But it's a further indictment of you that don't care about the issue and deal with it in a quote smart way in your mind. What is your plan? And, and Jordan, I want to add one thing to this. Here's here's the thing to tie back immigration, foreign policy, all this understanding a 21st century threat, and what is their biggest line is. They're trying to delegitimize preemptively any ability to say this is a national emergency at the border and say, therefore, Trump doesn't have the authority to declare a national emergency. And, of course, he's not trying to do martial law. He's merely just redirecting DOD funds that would be used to build walls in Jordan and Tunisia and actually build one on our soil. But they don't believe that that's national defense because to them, national defense is refereeing Islamic civil wars. Now, what they don't understand is this is both true of Islam um, and both true of Latin America, drug cartels, MS-13, and, and the problems. To them, a strategic threat is only if you had an army of Hezbollah or ISIS literally come like it with you know 20th century, 19th century tactics and invade us to be an invasion. What, what they can appreciate is when you have – again, we already talked about – I mean – the 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 style. I will just tell you what Jason Jones told me off the air about what he would when he would debrief cartel informants. It's it's more than anything I've heard of from ISIS. Um, they are on our border. They have associates in our every one of our communities, and people working for them, and the immigrants that they bring in, the fiscal charge. They 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 steal our sovereignty and our birthright, our citizenship. I mean. The crime, everything, it's wor- It's more subtle, but it's worse than – an invasion is just temporary. You could take back that ground. They are permanently embedded in our culture, economy, society. Um, it takes – you know, my report on MS-13, even MS-13 guys, it takes months of litigation to deport a single one of them, whereas with a military thing, you could kick them out right away. And what they don't understand – this is very interesting. I am going to quote on this program, Jordan. I'm going to quote Rod Rosenstein, okay, um, and I think it's important to hear him. You know, he's not wrong on everything, and because because this has a lot of bearings on Islam. The central dif- disagreement between us and the neoconservatives, thumbsuckers, broken conservative foreign policy, national defense establishment, is that they view that the only problem is if you're if you come in and you have a T-shirt that says "I am ISIS." 
okay? But everyone else, we could bring in hundreds of thousands of people from these countries and won't have a problem. Let me compare for you and get your comment on from your experience and my experience studying it from Latin America, both um, Latin Americans and, and Islam in a little different flavor but the same idea. Our thesis is no. Our thesis is, look, when you're talking about parts of the world where either like in Latin America, it's culturally a violent culture or from Islam where it's embedded in religious theological views, Sharia law. When you bring in mass numbers of people homogeneously, meaning it's not a persecuted distinct minority like the Yazidis or uh, you know, you know, Latin America is 100 uh, percent homogenous. So not everyone is doing it. Some people will be wonderful. Some people will immediately be card-carrying members. But then there's a whole large group of people in the middle that we shouldn't let in because they are vulnerable and susceptible to that society. They have that mentality. Maybe if you brought in a small number, you could assimilate them. But if you bring them in large numbers, and this is the lesson of my article about what's happening in Long Island, that when these 17-year-olds come over – they don't have on them like, oh, I'm a MS-13 dude. You're not going to find them in Interpol databases, um, maybe a few here and there, but a lot of them are going to be problems. The same thing with Islam. A lot of them are going to be problems. They're not necessarily a card-carrying member. I'm going to end with this quote and get your comment and extra- see you extrapolate it to, to uh, terrorism. Uh, this from uh, Rod Rosen- Rosenstein. On uh, it, it was uh, May 23rd, I think, of last year. We're letting people in who are gang members, but we're also letting people in who are vulnerable. Many of these are alien children who have no parents, no family structure. We're releasing them into our communities where they're vulnerable to recruitment by MS-13. And so some of these kids who come in without any gang ties develop gang ties as a result of the pressure they face from people that they confront in their communities. Isn't that eerily similar to what we're seeing with Islamic immigrants? Yeah, I think it's we can break this down into two separate portions of the argument. Um, the first, as you mentioned earlier, with the Iranian um, surveillance operations in the United States and the, the expanding Iranian network, in addition to the criminal cartels, um, one of the most common questions I get from readers and people that you know observe my work is, you know, if the, all of these uh, criminal cartels, these Iranian terrorist traffickers, and um, you know these Sunni Islamic extremists are in the United States, why aren't they going around blowing up buildings and you know killing people and various other questions involving you know, murder mayhem? And if you if you study um, successful rebel groups, insurgencies, terrorist organizations, criminal organizations, the ones that tend to last, such as the Muslim Brotherhood, Hezbollah, um, of course, the Mexican cartels, are the ones that know how to play the long-term strategy game. And that involves not to re- – we discussed this an hour ago on the phone privately. It involves not you know, trying to punch above your weight um, – and you know, taking on this is why that you rarely hear about a border patrol agent killed by a member of the drug cartels um, and, and taking responsibility for it. And we discussed uh, maybe trying to frame other criminal organizations for the deeds of one, but they don't directly take on the you know the full um, power of 
U.S. Border Patrol or the U.S. military, they know to pick and choose and to develop their network to the eventual end game, especially when it comes to the Iranian agents, that when the time comes, um, you know, God forbid, they will have enough structure in the United States to be able to do something very horrific. Um, but right now, they are, you know, building that potential. And, and you see that, you know, whether it's MS-13, you have thousands of operatives in the United States now. So, you know, pivoting to the second argument, um, where you were discussing, you know, the, the ideological um, issue, these people, you're right, they're um, embedded in very violent societies from a, from a very early age. Uh, in Latin America, you, know, you have some of the most violent, I think El Salvador and Honduras and Guatemala are, you know, three of the top five most violent countries in the world. So when you import people from extremely <laughs> violent societies, you can't really be surprised when you're bringing violent people into the United States. Young males. Um, Lot, lots of young males. Young males. And, and th- there is the, uh, you know, the connection to the Islamic world, too, is because all these Syrian refugees, for some reason, tend to be fighting age young males who are unvetted as well. And these people grow up. Um, and thanks to sanctuary city policies, it becomes even worse because they are not asked to assimilate. And you see the the outcome of sanctuary cities and sanctuary towns and villages in Europe and how that has uh, further radicalized these individuals because we need to accommodate their culture and not assimilate them. So I think Europe is shows like what can become of the um, Islamic migration into the United States in the next five, 10 years, you will have, uh, if you know nothing changes, you'll have entire cities, not just sanctuaries within the cities, but entire cities where this stuff goes completely unchecked. And, you know, you have these air, the no-go zones in Europe, and that's kind of a warning for what the future can become if we don't, um, you know, conduct some kind of ideological vetting of these individuals before they reach the country and start to, you know, impose travel bans on people who come from countries where they can't be vetted um, for the sake of U.S. national security interests. And that's the thing. You can't vet that. In other words, like you mentioned, I'm glad you brought up Europe because Todd Benzman, who is unquestionably the expert on the problem of Middle Easterners coming through the border, that's what he always talks about. The the big debate you saw going on, and, and this ties into what we're saying with bringing in mass Muslim migration through the front door through visas, as well as, you know, the Latin, the Central American youth, UACs, the, all their teenagers coming in through the border. The same thing you see with the SIAs. So, you know, they're like, show me the terrorists. You're making it up. Not you, not you. So, first of all, there, you know, there's a list about 15 of them. And just uh, uh, last year, this Jordanian national was indicted for creating a whole Somali smuggling um, route up our border for Somali. So it wasn't just him. It was a whole – so it does exist. Um, but the thing, what they don't understand is – so Kirsten Nielsen said, well, there were whatever, 3,400 SIAs you know, from these countries caught last year, which as I've explained, if you understand the mechanics and how much they pay and the tactics of the cartels with the smuggling, 
it would mean that we, we very unlikely have more than a third interdiction rate. You could easily say we have 10,000 that would come in in a given year. And this this is an important issue that we'll definitely explore um, further, is the fact that these people, especially the Middle East um, and Islamic world migrants, are willing to pay a hefty sum so they can cross um, without being exposed to any type of document uh, documentation process. You know, they could they could fly here and they have the funds for that. And they you know, they would have to be documented at, um, you know, the point of entry. But instead, you know, they're choosing some of them are choosing to cross the border and pay a significant sum. And you have to wonder why they're doing that. And it seems like many of them you know, could potentially be acting as some kind of um, foreign agents for a foreign country because they want to come in um, without being exposed to U.S. authorities. You know, I, I'm just so it, – it's just so sad because you know, I think what makes me so angry is, is that we know what we know. We, we study it. Um, it says in, Ecclesi- in Ecclesiastes, I mean, the, the more knowledge you have, the more anger you have. I mean, that, that's what it is because it's just so frustrating. It's, we're not even talking to each other. It's not a disagreement. You just don't see it. You refuse to open your eyes. Um, you made a very good point about that because here's the thing. We already know how many bad guys we let in through our visa process. I mean, this guy, again, he was – this is not even like subtle terror finance. He was go- training in tactics in his bulla in Lebanon, flying back and forth while he was naturalizing. So if you're going to tell me you have 10,000 – now, I don't want to say – well, yeah, it's basically Middle East, North Africa because those are the SIA countries um, uh, because um, I was going to say it includes maybe like Sub-Saharan Africa and non-Muslim Africa, but those aren't SIAs. They're OTMs. Um, they're, that, that's a different figure. So you know, if you, if you have 10,000, let's say, coming in, of those people, Muslims from the Middle East coming in through our back door, look – not all of them are going to be terrorists, but I mean, like, but in their mind of the Jonah Goldbergs, it's like, unless you see someone on Interpol, so first of all, you could be a total terror operative without being on any data, but I mean, you could be a first timer, you could not be on our system. Um, second of all, again, they don't understand this point, the cultivation, that you have, there's nothing for them to assimilate into because they have ignored and scoffed and viciously attacked anyone who wants to go after care in these type of groups. Um, they're like, well, you might find them distasteful, but they're not terrorists. It's not true. They are. They're funding it. So, you know, these are the people that ensure that Johnny Muslim, 16 years old, comes here rather than trying to like America, which I think is possible. They, they, they make them subversive. And, and that's why it's so important we, we go back to the basics. No one could deny that Europe has been invaded. Right? No one could deny that. We have an example across the pond in front, of the, for, in front of our eyes. Why don't we learn the lessons that we, we don't have as many from the Middle East because of the geography, but it's getting more. Jay Johnson put out a memo, Obama's DHS secretary, saying this is a huge problem, is an increasing problem. We need to find ways to counter it. He put out a memo to all local and federal law enforcement involved with the border. Um, they don't know about this. Benzman had to expose this because he – I think because he was in DPS at the time, so he must have known about it. I, I didn't even know about it. Um, you know, let, let, let me give you something else, and I want to get your comment on to just, again, come full circle. In what is a 21st century invasion? What is a 21st century 
century national security threat. What is national defense? The reason why this is so important because we're headed for a bloody fight where it's basically us and Mark Levin are the only ones saying the president has this authority to declare an emergency. Look, I understand the politics. I would rather not come to that. I don't feel comfortable with either because also the statute authorizes martial law powers too. And I understand, and let's look at that statute. But the statute is very clear. There's no conditions. If the president feels it's in the national defense, he could declare an emergency. That's step one. And once he declares an emergency, he could redirect DOD funding for projects, especially if he deploys troops, um, even if they weren't authorized. The wall is – it's in statute. It's authorized three times. You just need the probes. So, you know, what is their solution? I, I mean, I see Erickson all over Twitter now as we're talking, just bashing this, the worst thing in the world. Like, you know, this is going to destroy our agenda to secure the border. Okay, so what, what to tell us? I, I'd love to know. I'd, I'd love to hear your expertise on immigration and Latin American uh, politics, and I, I'm sure you're very you know well schooled on that. And so let let me know. I mean, I'm I'm really you know I'm I'm very open to hearing it. So anyway, um, to give a sense of what an invasion is going to look like and not look like, um, you you mentioned an amazing point, Jordan. You said that the ones that adapt are the ones that do the soft power. Not like if you look in the Middle East, the ones it's like a dog eat dog world. It's it's a it's it's Darwinism. They 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 big like ISIS. It, big things and they flame out because they just attack each other and whatever. It's the ones that develop economies and finances. And what's the linchpin? Having people in Western countries as their operatives raising money. I I'm gonna have Derek Maltz. DA by the way is a terrific organization. With a lot of good intel, data, and experience, they have bad leadership and guidance from the top. But yet, and that's what Derek yelps about. This the information that they have on this stuff is insane. The terror finance, the um, the way they raise money, the Yemenis, the Somalis on our soil, um, doing this stuff. That is where they're powerful. I'm going to tell you, Jordan. The same thing is happening with the drug cartels. If you look at the cartels, that like there's this one cartel. Uh, Nueva Plaza. It's very new. And their whole thing is to be a false flag for Sinaloa to attack Jalisco. They have no, they don't even do drug trafficking. Um, they certainly have no international basis. Their whole thing is just to attack. They're going to be gobbled. They're going to die in six months. No question about that. But if you look at Jalisco, you look at Sinaloa. Why did they have staying power? Because they created a multi billion dollar corporate model. They'll wear suits. They have operatives in 45 countries, and they use lawfare in our country to get their people in, and that's how they operate. They're not going to invade us in the way you think. And I'm gonna—I—I'm I, losing my mind because I'm like getting old and busy here. But I forgive—pardon me if I said this before on the show. Um, but in case I didn't, here's what what I've been told that I can guarantee you, um, Erickson, and God bless him. Mean, he was a friend of mine. Um, and Jonah Goldberg, these National Review types, um, even even a, even a Ben Shapiro, none of these people have heard of because I've spoken to the head of Border Patrol a couple of years ago, and he didn't know about this. Basically, a lot of people don't realize that the cartels and the caravans are very different. They actually work inversely. The caravans, the public, you know, traipsing through to come in and demand we let them in. 
that's a different type of threat. That's subversion from Maduro type of Latin American people that hate us. I think it's it's also, from what I hear, backed by Russia and China and Iran to subvert us, subvert our sovereignty, ops test different routes. Um, my friend Joseph Humeyer has a whole report his organization put out on this. It actually is against the, the cartels. Cartels hate it. The cartels like this subtle, quiet cartel a day, a caravan a day, so to speak, where the migrants come on their own, they pay them, they get the revenue, and they know that our politicians, and including the conservative Inc. political class, doesn't give a damn about the drugs and the migrants. They don't care about that. And they know as long as they keep it about that, they'll keep their lucrative thing. But what happened was the caravan made it so high profile that Trump got pissed off and he sent started sending the military down. And they are terrified of the military. So much so they were so pissed that I am told by two sources that the Gulf Cartel, which is on the far east, the Gulf Coast, um, they've been around for a while, very, very violent. So most of the cartel, the caravan went to San Diego, San Cedro uh, uh, checkpoint. Some of them went um, to Texas, which is actually the easier, shorter route. That they got on some of these um, 18-wheelers they were going on, and they took off a few dozen of these people, tied them up, and, and blindfolded them in front of everyone, and put swords over them, and threatened to behead them. They ultimately didn't do it. But they were threatening them, you better not do this caravan stuff again because it's bad for business. Why is it bad for business? Because if it's if, – if the more the invasion is apparent to the American people and the more it forces the president or Congress to respond as an invasion, which it is, but they don't want it to sound like that because you can't defeat a first century military, a first world military in the 21st century. They want to keep it quiet. How about that, Jordan? Doesn't that tie into the Middle East and Islamic terror as well? Yeah, 100%. It's the same tactics and strategy, um, as I mentioned earlier, that is employed by successful insurgency and terrorist organizations. Um, the difference between ISIS and the cartels, as you and, and the, the criminal organizations, as you mentioned um, a second ago, is that they, they use the same you know, horrific beheading tactics and such. But ISIS um, wants to, you know, make it part of their propaganda video in their, you know, ongoing war against the West. And we saw, you know, that the conventional wisdom about ISIS, that they were going to take over the Middle East and all that, all ended up being not true. And this is because ISIS completely failed on a tactical level to win over the Sunni population, because they were way too radical and they were chopping heads off left and right. And, you know, people were rightly terrorized by them to the point where, you know, they, they didn't want to be a part of it. Uh, the, the criminal organizations and Hezbollah, the Muslim Brotherhood are certainly playing the long game. They realize that in order to have a successful insurgency, you need to build up to the point where you can decide to act or not to act to further your interests, but you can't become such high profile that you garner the attention of you know the world's number one superpower. And I think the lesson is we need to look at you know reevaluate what 
are what the biggest threats to us are and really think hard about this. You know, not just go on YouTube and say like, oh, my God, look at these Afghanistan, you know, uh, jihadis and they're waving AK-47s and they're saying death to America. We need to go get them so they don't come here. Um, <laughs> but how are they going to come here? Right. <laughs> and and are these people in it for the long run are you know these jihadis in afghanistan what is their actual goal oh they want to take back afghanistan oh, okay that's you know unfortunate exactly. for afghanistan but what does that have to do with the united states and now you can you know compare that to something like the muslim brotherhood what is the muslim brotherhood's eventual goal oh they want a worldwide islamic caliphate and they're building up resources worldwide um, including apparently in the editorial pages of the washington post and, you know, they have this same radical goal, but they're smarter about the tactics. And we need to start shining a light on these groups, you know, whether it's Hezbollah, the Muslim Brotherhood, the, the, the extremely dangerous cartels that are operating with viciousness under the radar in Mexico to achieve their ends, but not in the United States yet. Um, and these are the, the, the biggest long-term threats to us as the groups that have proven that they, are, they have staying power, they have an international network, they can raise billions of dollars without many people noticing. And, you know, it's up to us and not these you know, total hacks on TV and in some establishment papers who criti criticize our work and have nothing to say about this stuff. These are the big threats. And, and what's so sad, what's so sad is that Ironically, it's their very mentality that enables these groups. In other words, what's our whole thing? They can't invade us, so they do a subversion-style invasion. But they can only do that because, again, they exploit the weaknesses of Western civilization and, and the way they think. It's their very thought process, like, this is not an invasion. And, like, <laughs> the cartels are like, yeah, right on. That, that, that's exactly what they want to hear. They want to hear it's not an emergency. Don't send the they are, I could They are terrified of the troops. Again, when um, – and so, so, again, we, we, I was telling you about this uh, offline. Um, and, and this is the type of insight that we're studying from that these assholes – my wife's not listening. You know, are, are, are – <laughs> um, you know, just so pissed at, at, at these people aren't gonna aren't gonna study from from this angle, from the foreign policy, from the Hezbollah, uh, Latin America angle, the Operation Cassandra angle. I mean, you would understand things. They just don't do it. So anyway, um, another anecdote that you now have one cartel framing another to get them in trouble with America. So um, the the thinking is that this. Plaza um, Nueva Plaza, which is like a proxy of Sinaloa, is a picture south of California and Arizona. Stops right about the Texas border. I, I don't know the Mexican geography so well, so I'm just using the American vantage point. Around El Paso, Guadalajara to the south is really where the line between Jalisco New Generation, which was spun out of Zetas, and Sinaloa really clash. And because those are the two that are fighting for all the territory, all the the drug trade in America, and and by the way, internationally, and and all sorts of other uh, organized crime. Um, and by the way, Taliban basically have operatives in Afghanistan and Qatar, Sinaloa and Jalisco have operatives in about forty-five to fifty countries. So there you go. Um, and anyway, two grenades were tossed at 
the American consulate in Guadalajara, Guadalajara they, they did not explode, but they were real grenades. Um, of course, you won't hear about that in the media. So what happened was there was a video that surfaced on the internet showing a Jalisco guy like you know tied up or something, and you know saying that they did it. And most people think they didn't do it, um, and it was likely this proxy of Sinaloa trying to frame them. And what was amazing is that Jalisco put up billboards everywhere, like "We do not do this." No, like, what do you think? Like, what, what do you mean? Like, what do you care? I mean, dude, if you're if you're going to start blowing up American consulates, you're going to start killing agents. That's a different ball game, and that's going to shut down their entire thing. They don't want to do it, and it's so much so that the same people that refuse to recognize the subversion and how they play, they always downplay the terrorist threat by saying this, and they're right. But they're ultimately wrong. They say that, look, Daniel, you're right. They're so powerful and they're doing so much stuff that they're never going to want to bring in terrorists because that's going to upend their um, you know, human and drug trafficking because they know we don't give a damn about that. But you know, if, if uh, Iranian came in and set off a suitcase bomb in Dallas or Houston, then we'd turn our attention to them and, and destroy their, their networks. So they're not going to do it. But and that that is a very good thought, and that is a thought also why his bull in Latin America people think you know ultimately they're not going to try to do terrorism; they're just going to keep to the organized crime and raise money for their projects, their terrorism in the Middle East. But where they're wrong about that is this: that might be true at a leadership level with the cartels, but the way they work is that the lieutenants, the captains down the chain of command, they are. You know, there are a bunch of the very desperate people. Um, you know, I think you know the left always likes to say that Islamic terrorists because they don't have jobs. There, it's not true because it's ideology. Because a lot of them are rich, but actually, it is true in Latin America. Really, a lot of it is is they don't have opportunity, and they get sucked into this, to this, and they'll do anything for money. So, if you're one of these guys manning a checkpoint and you're collecting the toll, the tax, the extortion to get through. Um, they're not stupid. You know, the Iranians aren't going to send a known guy. They're going to send a random Iranian if if God forbid they would do this. They'll just give the guy 50,000 bucks. The um the cartel's never going to the leadership's never going to know who did it. It's not like an executive decision we're going to allow in this terrorist and he goes through. That's how easy it is if we don't secure our border and if we don't get rid of the magnets that have the migrants, the Central Americans come in, so our border patrol can use the full resources and not be tied down to focus on these type of people coming over and not have the bogus asylum. I mean, Jordan, isn't that a perspective you've never heard? Yeah, well, the thing is, their calculations may come to change, you know, with the growing strength. Or say, you know, particularly with the Iranian agents, um, we don't want these people in our country if the regime gets stronger or if the regime starts to collapse. If the regime starts to collapse, then you have um, committed Khomeiniists, a thousand of them within the inside the country, and let's say they get an order from Tehran to start, you know imposing chaos in the country and to scrap their surveillance plans and to start doing horrible things, they might just do these things. So that's why it's important to keep track of these people. And the same can be said about, you know, a criminal network in Mexico that either collapses or gains strength. You know, these groups' calculations change, and you don't want evil people that have evil ideologies inside of our country. 
You know, that's that that that's the thing. They just they just don't see it. They don't see what a strategic threat is. You're, you're what you're touching on now is what you're talking about. What Jason always says is quantum leaps in the way they operate. That um, he always would yell. He's like, "Don't yell at me! Don't shoot the messenger! It's not my fault. The cartels change the way they do things. Like you know, you have to adapt. And they have these doctrines. You know this in, in the Foreign Service and in Intel. They have certain doctrines. Sunnis will only do this, and Shias will only do this. And it, and and this stuff changes. It really in some theaters they will, some theaters they won't. There's you have to study everything holistically." which is what we are proud to do to mix defense, military, foreign policy, drugs, terror finance, immigration, the border, Latin American affairs, all in one shot. Hey, buddies at National Review, you go do that, and then you could have the right to criticize us. Well, you know, you have First Amendment right to say whatever you want, but, you know, that's that's what I really hope that we could break through some of this garbage um, because I'm very scared that – I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Jordan. I am very scared of the president declaring this because it really does need to be done. But the problem is that and, – and he does have the power. But there's been such a lack of education that you really need to build the case for longer to do it. And that's my – I'm just speaking politically, not legally. Yeah. And, and, and a lot I, I of these – politically speak – Yeah, and a lot like, of these yeah, a-holes are going to exploit speaking. that – to try to just make it all about the president being a tyrant and just like, could we talk about the problem? Like, could we talk about the magnitude of the problem? Yeah, I think the president needs to make it very clear that he needs to he needs to talk about the problem, which he's done a good job doing over the past week. But he also, if he decides to declare by executive order that he's reappropriating funds from the Defense Department, he needs to be very specific so he can win people over um, that aren't already in his camp, that are kind of on the fence, that are reading stuff from you, but you know, are also reading stuff from the other side saying, oh, how dare the president do something like this. Um, there's a lot of ways that the president can draw funds. $5 billion will be surprisingly easy to find from the Defense Department. And I, I, I discussed that a little bit this week in an article for Conservative Review. It would only be about 12.5% of the annual um, Afghanistan budget, that the, but it's probably even less than 12.5%, yep. knowing that the the government um, always understates these numbers. Oh, yeah. We are withdrawing troops from Syria. There's going to be billions of dollars freed up from those activities that we were engaging in there. We have um, undeclared deployments in several, probably a dozen countries in Africa where we're spending billions of dollars, and there's so much money coming out of the Defense Department. And you and I you know, are the biggest proponents of spending a ton of money so that we can develop a qualitative and quantitative defense edge over our enemies. I'm talking about where there's waste and, and yep. tremendous you know, foreign policy um, blunders. blunders and boondoggles um, that we can free up money from for, for this project. And the fact that Congress is is the government is shut down over five point seven billion dollars. Um, you know the president needs to take action on this, and I, I think that he'll find if he makes a compelling case um, of reappropriating defense funds specifically and continuing to address this as a national security issue 
as a national defense issue, as a foreign policy issue, that he will win the American people over and have an easier time than he think he will. You know, the media will go crazy, but the American people, as polls show, you know, they want to get out of Afghanistan. They want to get out of Syria. There's plenty of money. There's tens of billions, of hundreds of billions of dollars that are thrown into the wilds of Afghanistan and Syria every single year. If we spent 5.7 on the, on the border, um, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt anyone. So that, that's where I'm at right now. It's that and the troops. I mean, because especially I, there's two statutes he has, but for one of them, I do believe he you need to have true has to be in in defense of troops. Um, which, but I think even without a wall, we we I, I think the troops are actually even more important than the wall. Um, but you know, that's the thing. These very same people, if you would pull out of Afghanistan, if you would pull out, they would go nuts. They have it exactly backwards. And, and, and all these, like, constitutionalists, I love it. Like, these libertarians, love it. I'm conservatarian. Like, that's the latest line for this, like, the cool crowd National Review. Um, but these type of people, I, you know, I never find the libertarianism when I'm fighting the things I'm fighting on healthcare and ethanol. It's funny. Like, I never, I never really find help. No one joins me. And and then when it comes to all these undeclared wars that that clearly the president shouldn't have power and no one has uh, just the opposite. It's like they want to impeach him for pulling them out of undeclared wars. It's like you're abusing your power. And the first time he wants to use it for what is quintessentially national defense, as our founders would have envisioned it. Um, you know, and 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 and, but you also do have the technicality of the statute. As much as you kind of don't like it, I I think he you know he would have to um, get up there, and I do think he'd have to reassure America. Look, I'm not going to use this for any internal powers, martial law. This is all external at our border with the troops and the wall. Um, you know, and look, I have criticisms of the president that you know the everyone feels the pressure. The clock is ticking with the government shutdown. And, you know, there's not enough time to build the case. You see the power of just an eight-minute speech. Several Democrats are feeling the pressure at home now. I mean, he should have been doing this for two years. There were seven budget battles with Republicans in control of the House I was yelling about. But these guys weren't. You know, they're like – you know, and some a few of them are making the case. Why don't you do it then? Hey, you jerk. You never said a word about it then. You know, you don't care about the issue. We know that. I mean, you and I both know, and I think all this audience knows, that the the, the legacy conservative establishment doesn't – they range from being downright pro-open border – to completely, it's like the postal reform to them. You know, I mean, like, like it's like some sort of water resources bill. It's just a weird issue to them. They don't, they don't see it. They don't see it. They don't care. Um, Jordan, I would never do this because we're already over time, and I was only going to have you on for half. Now I had you on for the whole show, and I'm going to push some of my other stuff to next week. Um, but I want to give our audience a complete thought. A complete thought about not understanding what is a 21st century threat to national defense and what is not. There's one more angle that I really want to discuss, and that is Qatar. The The fact that either they don't understand or part, or they don't understand because they're bought off by Qatar, these outlets, um, that Qatar, that is really the problem and why they're the problem. Um, I'm going to link to um, – an article by Lee Smith at Tablet on how the Qataris subverted us with the Khashoggi thing. Could you just briefly explain how Qatar is almost like a 21st century invasion subversion of America and how they're a much bigger deal than the Taliban? They're also enabling the Taliban. Yeah, so, but- 
Yeah, so in terms of uh, control over the legacy media and buying off think tanks, uh, Gutter is the number one uh, Sunni terrorist financer in the Islamic world, but they also have asserted um, control over the U.S. media, uh, not control in the sense of appointing CEOs and presidents to run CNN, but Gutter and Turkey, too. Turkey very much has a role in this, as seen through the Khashoggi affair, is that they are manipulating um, the media into reporting stories based on, you know, they know that everyone in the media, in the U.S. media now, is so particularly click-hungry. Um, and with this Khashoggi incident, they, and Lee Smith, um, our friend, really articulates this well in his latest in tablet magazine that went up today, that these um, Qadari and Turkish intelligence officials are running foreign influence operations Changing successfully changing U.S. policy um, by distributing propaganda through the U.S. media. One particular example is, you know, of course, the stuff that happened with Khashoggi, but a real-life policy outcome of that, uh, everyone was so swept up in the Khashoggi stuff that you had Republican senators who claimed to be tough on Iran, and we've talked about this before, deciding that... Saudi Arabia is so bad because of Khashoggi that we they voted to stop supporting Saudi Arabia's coalition in Yemen with refueling and um, minor aid. So that's a real life consequence of propaganda, successful propaganda operation being run by Turkey and Gutter in the media for their foreign policy priorities. And you have outlets like The Washington Post, which I've been covering recently. Um, they had an op-ed, they published an op-ed yesterday by a member of the Muslim Brotherhood who they did not identify as a member of the Muslim Brotherhood, bashing the president of Egypt as a human rights violator, um, which is which is not um, necessarily off base, but the criticism is coming from a direct rival to the president of Egypt who poses a much bigger threat, particularly to the United States. And this is just a couple examples of the, the constant uh, foreign influence operations, most of them being guided by Qatar and Turkey that we're seeing in the media. And unfortunately, the Washington Post has become um, you know, the, the premier paper for these operations because it gets so many eyes. And the, the Republican congressmen and senators in Washington are so obsessed with making sure that these, these legacy media outlets are on their side and these foreign operators have manipulated them. And I, and I would urge everyone in this audience to read Lee's um, latest on Khashoggi and how foreign countries are using our media to manipulate um, our domestic and foreign policies. Um, you know, as we're talking, I'm seeing from Axios is reporting that U.S. approved thousands of petitions to bring in child brides, 8,000 visa requests involving minors married to someone significantly older um, were approved. I'm trying to figure out what age, what what year period, what over what period of time here. 
Um, I think you know exactly what part of the world that's coming from, or at least a large part of that. This is again the thing. It, it's civilization jihad. It's you know, you know, they they they, they first say your kooks were saying it's not happening, and then they say shut up, it's not a problem. FGM doesn't happen. Remember all that? And now judges are saying you're not allowed to ban it. Um, oh, I thought it didn't happen. Like, alien, these immigrants are are entrepreneurs. They're not on. No one's on welfare. Okay, so Trump's like, all right, so we're going to enforce public charge laws then that that are have been on the books since the colonial times. No, that will devastate seventy percent of. Well, well, I thought they weren't on. Well, you know, um, they don't commit any crime. Okay, so let's start tracking the data. No, well, I mean, they they, they just don't want to hear the truth, and I, I think that's what you're saying here. You know, with Cutter, it's the they're buying influence and funding terror. At the same time, that's where it is. Uh, I'll never forget when a friend of mine who worked in, in special ops, he said to me that these guys are not – if you're if you're a jihadist sitting in Raqqa or wherever, he, he's not thinking about the guy in the 75th Ranger Regiment 20, stationed 25 miles away from him. He's thinking of Joe Scarborough. He's thinking of the institutions in our country. I mean, you know, like it's – that's yeah. what that, that's the West has the power, but they self-immolate, and that's how they do it. I mean, they they raise money. I mean, Derek, um, you know, and, and I, we got to end this soon, but 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 uh, Derek uh, Maltz is is one of the most patriotic people I've ever met, and he th- imagine being him. He lost a brother in Afghanistan, and he knows he Derek knows it was for nothing. And at the same time, he was the head of Special Operations Division for the Drug Enforcement Administration. And he saw that the entirety of the problem – he would see aliens we bring to our country from from these countries, particularly Yemenis and Jordanians. Not all of them, but there was a group among them that had these hundreds of Yemeni-owned bodegas and delis in our country where they were getting this rat poison from China, putting it packaged in these like kid-friendly looking uh, synthetic marijuana that everyone's – doped up on and they would go and bleed out from it and they and they and the, the proceeds would go to fund terror and and the government would never look into this because they would never adapt to drugs and terrorism and collaborate properly and that's that's the problem he, he, he would always be like daniel it's a twofer they're killing our people and funding terror to kill our people too and kill other people it's a twofer and it all gets back to our own soil, our own intel, our own counter-terror finance, making the right alliances, making the right soft power, carrots and sticks in our hemisphere, propping up the good people in our hemisphere, not in the tribal warfares in the Middle East. You know, Obviously, you have your naval assets always projecting power. Where, where are these people? Where is Jonah effing Goldberg putting out a podcast, giving a vision like this, putting it n- – nothing – they just sit in a, yeah, stupid people. I just, there's got to be a better word than thumbsucker, but for now, that's what I had to d- describe these people. There's just something like, there's something I find immoral that either you know what's going on and you're utterly insouciant and don't give a darn, or your ignorance is just as criminal if you don't know about it, that you're opining on things while refusing to develop a modicum of competency in the issue. Final thoughts, Jordan. Yeah, I, I agree with that that sense. That I think that a lot of these people have um, a lot of the more successful people in the conservative commentary. You know, whether it's National Review or some other 
magazines that are dying out is that they stopped thinking a long time ago. And you know, I, don't, I don't want to name Nancy, but we discuss this a lot that, you know, it appears that these people just spend their time writing columns about uh, magazines and editorials that they don't like, but they never provide a vision. And even worse, they slander us. They say that our ideas are immoral, our ideas are evil, and never present a competing vision. And even worse, they become apologists for policies that that hurt Americans, uh, particularly, you know, when it comes to Syrian refugees, uh, open borders. And then they do that double gaslighting approach where when we expose their arguments, they basically say, oh, so what? You know, you still suck. And that's, you know, the retort that you get from these folks. They're very unserious. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of, you know, they, 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 they want this status quo where everyone, it, it's like, you know, when the, when the World Bank goes into these third world, to draw an analogy, when the World Bank goes into these third world uh, African countries and, you know, they're really struggling and they say, you know, how do we get out of this horrible situation? And they say, well, you know, you can't industrialize because, uh, you know, that's that's bad for the environment. And, you know, it's it's immoral and climate change and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's the same thing. Um, so these African countries end up suffering and being forced on these you know solar powered panels that don't even work. And, and it's the same thing when we discuss issues like Syrian refugees coming in. It's basically, you know, their response is, well, you know, you your ancestors came into America, but you know our ancestors weren't you know relying on welfare and and weren't you know Islamists. So we have to suffer too, because their policies are supposedly more moral than ours. But you know we have to take the chance that these are radical ISIS terrorists because of the fact that they believe their policies are moral. So it's like it's so preposterous and so backwards and. You know, it's really unfortunate, and that's why these people need. And I'm I'm happy that, you know, the one good thing about social media is that everyone has access to it. You know, there are no longer gatekeepers on the right. You know, there's not. No one has to go through Bill Crystal anymore to find a platform. And you know, this podcast has has been successful in in spreading you know great ideas about foreign policy, domestic policy, border security. Um, you know, full full scale immigration policy, and that we can discuss these issues and compete um, with the best of them, and and hopefully, you know, our vision will prevail in the end. Amen. And that's just the way it is, folks. We're way over time. Thank you, Jordan, for joining us. Have a great weekend. God bless you all. Next week will be crazier than this week, no doubt. But we'll be there to cover it all from all important angles. 